Hello, welcome to the RT Soccer Podcast, uh, Daily World Cup edition. Mikey Stafford, joined by former Ireland international Keith Tracy and Rob Wright of RTE Online Sports to discuss a couple of more dramatic uh, World Cup quarterfinals. We've been we've been well served by the last eight, I have to say. Um, it's literally just finished uh, France 2, England 1. And um, Kylian Mbappe didn't quite have the impact we expected, Keith, but uh, his reaction to Harry Kane's penalty miss seems to be going viral. His gleeful smile and laugh as soon as the ball went over the bar. It's, as you just said before we came on air, poor old England, even when it's not penalties, it's a penalty. Yeah, it, it all came down to the penalties again, didn't it? You know, they were feared and you know, if you could, if they could take penalties now, they'd rip your hand off because they've been thrown out of the tournament. But I, I have to say, you know, from the outside looking in, the English, this will hurt them. This will be devastating for them. But like I say, from the outside looking in, analysing that, they were largely the better team. I have to be honest. I, I thought the first 15, maybe 20 minutes, France were the better team. They were on top. After after they scored their goal, which was a, which was a good finish by Tuchemeni, but I thought Saka was fouled in the build up. I thought the referee should have got that right. He wasn't, you know, very far away from it. He told Saka to get up. So it was it, it, there was too long in between it to go back for it in VAR. So I understand that, but it should have been given in real time. It wasn't a hard call. I think the ref got quite a couple of decisions wrong. I think England could have even had a tour penalty. I think I, it might have been outside, but for it not to be even given as a free kick was pretty much baffling for me. But yeah, look, from the outside looking in, England, although it's the quarterfinals, they've been thrown out. I think they've probably lost to the, to the eventual winners of the of the World Cup. So there's no shame in that. And they gave it a really, really good goal. And, you know, Giroud scored a really good goal, but the Tucci many when you, you hold your hands up, them sort of things can happen. Somebody unleashes something from 30 yards out. It goes through uh, Bellingham's legs. It's one of them. It's just unlucky, but yeah, I, largely I thought it was England. England were a better, better team, and I think France will be happy just to get through that now. Yeah, Rob, the, they'll play Morocco, obviously, who beat Portugal 1-0. We'll discuss that game in a while, but one thing we have in common is um, anger at referees. Uh, there's a lot of, we'll, we'll discuss the Portuguese conspiracy theories about an Argentinian refereeing a match when they're still in the tournament, which is a new one on me that they'd be complaining about that. But uh, Wilton Sampaio of Brazil was a referee this evening. And while a lot of people in Ireland aren't naturally predisposed to being sympathetic to our nearest neighbours, the, the, the Saka foul definitely was, the foul of the build-up to the goal, did look of such a clear foul that should have been picked up. VAR couldn't have got that. And the, I think the Harry Kane... The, the third penalty shout Keith mentions is, I think, because it was outside the box, VAR won't rule for a free kick. They'll only rule for a penalty. So they might have, VAR might have said it was a foul, but they weren't going to go back for a free kick. But the Saka, the, the foul in the build-up to the first goal did... If <laughs> I, I'd be irate about that if I was an England fan. Yeah, and look, I, it possibly was a foul, but there was an awful lot of time between that foul and the goal. And, you know, at a certain point, you have to say, OK, play carries on, you have to continue... They chances to clear it. They chances to stop it. Um, yeah, I think they were they France field, They got away with it there. Now I think I think they were up against a team probably most well equipped to uh, to hurt them. Uh, you know they, they won't fear Morocco, um, but it's kind of a case of you know they were ex- England were able to exploit France where they were most weak in the middle of the park, and for you know a good hour of the game. 
they dominated the middle of the park. Um, there, there was some strange decisions from Southgate, I think, when England were on top, you know. I don't get really why he took off Saka. England looked terrified of him. Um, Henderson was helping to control things in the centre. Uh, he brought on Sterling, and I think it was Mount for him. was, yeah. Um, it was, yeah. And I don't think either of them added anything. And it kind of gave the incentive back to France a bit there. Um, but yeah, it's it's Morocco next to them. And yeah, I think they'll feel they can get better at them and Argentina, Croatia in the final. It's all lined up for them. Yeah, it, it is looking good for them, Keith, but that you know, they they'll have concerns. Um Kyle Walker's heat map will be an interesting one to see. I, like he he just as, as soon as the England went over the halfway line, he started running backwards. It was bizarre to see, but he did a job. And Morocco, we know, have very, very, very good defenders. They'll look at that and say, This guy this guy can be shackled, and if he is, you know, now there was still wonderful performances, Griezmann was the recreation of Griezmann as a centre midfielder is astounding to see, but he had a great game. Chimeni, obviously, apart from giving away a brain dead penalty, had a good game. They they do have other options, but this idea that Mbappe is unstoppable, I I think Kyle Walker went a long way to to disproving that. Yeah, well, I played with I played with Kyle Walker at Sheffield United just before mm. he got he got bought at Spurs. And once or twice, I had a couple of races against him. And believe me, he's absolutely electric over over 10 yards. And he's one of them that keeps getting quicker and quicker as he goes. He doesn't just reach his potential and then, you know, top out. He just keeps getting quicker as he goes. So I was really interested to see that. I think there was one time Mbappe actually tried to run him and he did just get ahead of him, but it was really, really tight. There wasn't a lot in it. But to see that Mbappe didn't fancy running down the wing was just enough, but... To be fair, I don't think Mbappe will come up against a right back like Kyle Walker every week. Even Hakimi at Morocco, very, very good right back, very good shape. Will keep will keep people under wraps, but pace is the one thing that kills people. And Hakimi, like I say, an excellent right back, hasn't got the pace of a Kyle Walker, so could struggle up against an Mbappe. But yeah, look at Mbappe's biggest weapon is his pace. We all know that. And if you take that away from him, put him up against somebody who's even 80-90% as quick as him. Then I think Mbappe will struggle, and he struggled to get into the game. He really did, and the the sack of penalty all comes from Mbappe not tracking back as well, because uh, Hernandez has left two v one. Saka and Henderson walk it well. Saka comes in and gets taken down. That's all because Mbappe is standing on the halfway line thinking about going forward. So there, there is ways to hurt this French team, but there's ways to hurt the Argentinian team. There's ways to hurt the Moroccan team. There's ways to hurt the Croatian. So. This, for me, it, it's been a brilliant World Cup. I'm loving every minute of it. And you just can't take your eyes off it. And boy, I, I don't want to keep going back to the referee. It's just popped into my head. I'm looking at the Mason Mount penalty. That was a stonewall penalty. And the ref didn't give that in normal mm-hmm. time either. So the ref was really, really poor. But, you know, it comes down to Harry Kane missing that penalty. They did have enough chances. Yeah. Just they, about, they... about Walker there, though, I kind of feel that... Um... You know, they sacrificed him to stop Mbappe, but they really missed his pace. You know, they had no, I know Saka and Foden, you know, they don't have the same explosive pace that he has. And that was one of the things that England really were missing, you know, and it's a gamble. Do you give that up to stop Mbappe? They probably could have done with that today. Hmm. You know, it was, it was was interesting though, Keith, that without... Walker going forward, the idea that Henderson was going to be Walker's kind of assistant in shackling Mbappe. Obviously, he was at times, but it was more interesting that he was constantly showing up beside Saka as an overload of Hernandez because, as you say, 
they the English probably gambled that Mbappe wasn't going to be tracking back, so the French left left flank was their best route to to attack. Yeah, I think you, you could see it from open play a lot. They would they would probe down the down their left, they would recycle it back, and then once Mbappe gets disinterested, they play the ball out to the right, they try and get Bellingham over there, Henderson or Saka, and they would create overloads because Ravio doesn't want to come out of that midfield. He doesn't want to come out protecting the back four. So England started to walk it really, really well. And I, I, I feel for the English, I really do. I, you know, when you're up against the world champions, you're thinking, you know, we're going to need a bit of luck here today. For for as well as there was so many, so many good performances in there for England. You know, I don't think Phil Foden turned up for as good as he is. I'm a huge fan of his at Man City. I don't think he was great. Bellingham. You know, he's, he's only 19, so I'd be very, very reluctant to point any sort of finger at him. But for what he's done in the pre in the tournament already, I don't think he's reached the heights of what he's what he could have. But all the question marks I had over England before the game were John Stones and Hardy Maguire. And they were excellent. You know, I know Giroud gets ahead of Maguire, but in a 90-minute game, France have huge, huge threats. So to limit them to three shots on target in 90 minutes of football, when you when you see the 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 class, the talent they have on there was was a really good show, but yeah, I think you know it just hurts, doesn't it? Hurts. It's going to hurt the English. And it, to be fair, you know, it's it's hard. I'm, I'm not saying I I backed the English from the start, but you know, going into this, it was either the English or the French. You know, who which one do you go up for? Because I know we, we don't really like the French after the on rehab ball, <laughs> and the English one, you know, is a tough one anyway. So. Yeah, it was whoever wins, it wins. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's true, and and. Um... Rob, it, it is, you know, it's another, you know, I made the joke on Twitter, you know, that, you know, Gareth Southgate and Harry Kane both making dough out of pizza ads. Um, get that like, pizza money. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it's such, it's such a painful way to go out of a tournament and you just wouldn't, like, the one English guy you kind of bank on scoring a penalty. And I do wonder if the fact it was Hugo Lloris and it was a second penalty against Hugo Lloris, he's like, okay, Hugo won't guess my first one, but... He'll have a good chance. He'll, he'll probably nobody's faced more Harry Kane penalties in their life than Hugo Lloris. So he probably said it, it was probably you know kind of trying to second guess himself and second guess Lloris, and Absolutely. maybe that was what happened. And you can see, I mean, the first, the first penalty was a wonderful penalty. And but Lloris, if you look back on it, even though he went the wrong way, he knew where Kane was looking to place it because he dived high. You know, he, he went up high into the mm. into his left corner. Um. And Kane obviously knows, you know, okay, I've done that on the first one. He's going to go high again. He went a bit too high, you know, himself. Um, so, yeah, you can, you, there must be a psychological element there against your club goalkeeper. You know, you kind of face him every day in training. You, that's the man you practice your penalties against. There's probably no one better in the world to stop penalties from Harry Kane than Hugo Lloris. And yeah, maybe he just outthought himself because it was a disastrous penalty. It really was, you know, as, Roberto Baggio kind of stuff nearly. Yeah, Keith, give us the give us the 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 pros inside on that. Then you're practicing penalties. You know, everybody has a preferred penalty, but then obviously you want to broaden your repertoire because you don't want to be known for being the guy who always puts the bottom left, always goes down the middle. So you're playing against a club goalkeeper. They will have a good idea of what your preferred penalties are in a pressure situation, I guess. Yeah, of course you will. It's only natural you would have come up against him on the change and uh, on the training ground and. You know, when he took the force, when I thought, you know, Lloris will know second time, it, it's always a gamble. So 
look in hindsight it's a great thing could he have, could he have looked at a phone or maybe you know a Declan Royce whoever would have fancied it and say lads you know I don't want to test me look here uh, too much because you know he's my club goalkeeper and it would have he, he obviously overthought it because you've never seen Hardy Kane lean back and just smash a ball as hard as he can and that for me was just was just pure nerve so but to be fair in the force one the referee blew the whistle and it looked like it startled him and cut him off so and he, he, he addressed the ball again he, he tied his laces, he took a step back, took a breath, and he thought that was real maturity. He knows what he's doing. He's taking his time. He's not going to rush. And he put that one away. And the second one, to lean back and just blast it like that, it's so one-hardy Kane. Like, and I think it was just pressure in, in hindsight. Could he, could he have looked at one of the other English lads and say, any of you fancy this? But you know, hindsight's a great thing. and You're never going to get a striker to willingly walk away from a penalty. Yeah, and I just the, the narrative of it, Rob, it was like the first penalty equaled her, uh, Wayne Rooney's England scoring record. The second one was to break it and, you know, bring England to, you know, potentially to extra time in a World Cup quarterfinal. And then he misses it. It's just, it, it it's just so wonderfully, terribly English. Yeah, yeah. And and Spursy, you know, as well. <laughs> get away from that as well. Um, yeah, it, look, it's going to haunt him. It's not going to be something to get over from. I don't think... The I suppose the tabloids don't have the same power and the same sway that they used to back when, you know, Southgate missed his and you know it'll be less of a crucifixion by the media than you know other players who've missed penalties like that have faced. But yeah, he'll definitely feel it to haunt him, and uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to be an easy one for him to get over. Yeah, a uh, lot of interest now, I guess, uh, Keith, in, in whether Gareth Southgate will stay on, with a lot of people predicting if they even if they'd won the World Cup, he'd go, because what more could he do? And now, you know, semi-final, final of the Euros, quarter-final. It, it is still a very young team, like the, the players clearly like him, but um, I suppose any any manager, any man, even internationally, you're not seeing the players that much. I guess you kind of get worried, you're, you know, your message might be getting a bit stale. It, it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do. Yeah, it will be. I, I think they're still, like you say, the, the bulk of them are still very, very young. And he, he seems to be one of these managers that he gets re- a really close relationship with players. And you look at like Saka, Foden, Bellingham, all really young and in the starting eleven. He seems to have a great uh, relationship with Mason Mount as well. He seems to get on very well. So that's the core group of young attackers there. And, you know, I'm not so sure. I, I think the FA might want to keep him. I'm not so sure Gareth will want to will want to stay on because like you say what more can he do with this squad he's reached the, the semis and a final and now the quarter final yeah I'm, I'm not so sure how how, how much Gareth Southgate thinks is left in him and the England squad so maybe they will try and freshen up with a new manager but look if they were to stick with, with Gareth Southgate I, I have to be honest I'd, I'd be happy enough and I think there'd be the core group of players in that dressing room would be happy as well because you know, you have to go back to what England were like before Gareth Southgate came in the door. You know, it, it was pretty laughable, some of the some of the results that were coming in. So, yeah, the grass is not always greener. I know they want to make that next step, but going to just another manager for the sake of it is not always a good thing. So, I'd love to see them keep faith in them, give them another couple of year deal and maybe even go to the next World Cup with them and, you know, see how we can how he gets on there. Yeah. I think um, the thing is, sorry, they, yeah, they have options. You know, you kind of <laughs> look at who's out there. Who's available? Um, like they, the FAA and the English media, and you know the whole people in control there. They want an Englishman in control of the team, you know. And it, it, there's not too many options. You know, and I can bring Sean Dyche in, 
Um, well, I think Eddie Howe would be would be probably the nat- natural one doing so well at Newcastle, but he's not ready yet. So I think it would be natural to give Southgate another couple of years, another four years until the next World Cup, and then it all being well, if Newcastle are in are a top six club by then, I think it'd be natural then to bring Eddie Howe in, a young manager as well coming through. But at the minute, he's not ready. But that's in an ideal world. That's if Gareth Southgate even wants to stay on, you know. So there's question marks over that as well. Yeah, and I suppose the guy on the other side is you know kind of proof of what longevity and a bit of trust can do you know Deschamps in that job for a very long time now and he's he's obviously delivering particularly World Cup seems to be a speciality um Keith you know they're playing Morocco next we'll get out to Morocco shortly and then you know the winners of Croatia and Argentina France do look the most complete side but as I think we've noted a couple of times here on the podcast uh probably the best 11 but you know one substitution made in the 79th minute by Deschamps does speak to the fact that he perhaps doesn't have the bench that he would have if he wasn't decimated by injury. So um, an injury to a key player for France in the semi-final would change the perspective quite a bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. And even if uh, an injury to Kylian Mbappe, I, I, I know France, are, they're not a one-man team, but you know if you keep Mbappe quiet, you, you do restrict France and what they can do. Giroud is a very good player, can cause a problem. So can Griezmann. Griezmann was very good tonight. Dembele, huffed and puffed, didn't do an awful lot. But the the, the one thing I, th- I think where France can be dominated is Rabiot and Tuchemani. I really like Tuchemani. I think he'll go on to be a, a world-class footballer, but he's still earning his stripes at this level right now. I think he can be found out. Rabiot, I don't think is... I don't think he, he reads the game well enough defensively. He wants to spring forward and make passes, but defensively down the sides I think he can be got at I think dominated in the midfield and I think uh, Uka Makano the, the centre-half Kane made him look very very ordinary tonight I think he got he got very tight once or twice could have gave a penalty away was rolled a, a numerous times so he's somebody that people might try and pinpoint I think Morocco might try and play on him as well and in, in the middle Morocco will just they, they will really make a nice and tight and narrow in there and they'll give up the wings which is where Mbappe is going to be so it'd be fascinating to see which way Morocco will go about it but yeah there's, there's holes in the French team that you know that there's weaknesses in there so although Morocco will be thinking this is a big big game they will also be thinking we can spring out and hold France yeah um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Rabio, I have to say but maybe maybe it's the guy next to him making him making him look good, Rob. Uh, Griezmann, one of one of FIFA's new Arsene Wenger stats came up and uh, Griezmann was leading on 63 at the end of the game of pressures made ahead of Tuchemani, Henderson and all the other centre midfielders who are supposed to be doing that. Um, it's, it's kind of remarkable the way, he, the role he's playing for France now and, and how good he is, is at it. And he was, he was key for them in the first half. Um, he, was, he was really getting in there, breaking up everything. And like you know, really a bit of the um, practical foul in there. You know, he was you know he knew when to put the boot in, when to stop. But he got booked just before half time, and that had to stop. And you could see that really changed the pattern of the play in the second half. You know, he wasn't the one getting in there. He wasn't breaking up the play as much. And that was when England really started to dominate through the centre. So, like if they can keep him doing that role against Morocco. Um, without you know getting caught and getting pinged for those cynical vowels then yeah they'll 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 do well there yeah okay we'll we'll move on to the first game which is um 
England France is always likely to be the game to grab the headlines today, but in reality, the first game is probably more significant. Keith, the first uh, African team to make a a World Cup semi final, and you can just imagine the scenes in Morocco to be, as I, I said earlier, to to be at whatever the Moroccan equivalent of the Walkinstown roundabout is tonight. I'd say now would be something else. Um, but they they are a fascinating team. They've conceded one goal, and that was to Canada, and it was an own goal. So against Croatia, Belgium, Portugal. All these top-level uh, European teams they played, they haven't conceded a goal and haven't really looked like conceding the goal. You look at their defense, Keith, and you know what? What? What is it that they're doing? They've got very good defenders, obviously, but it's more than that. It's a system that's been put in place by a coach who's not there very long, and they are absolutely baffling some of the best attackers in the world. Yeah, it's just uh, I don't want to oversimplify it and say it's war great and desire, but. It's a huge, huge chunk of that. So many times uh, today against Portugal, you're seeing somebody would come flying in to, to make a tackle in the midfield. They'd get skipped past. And they don't just jog back and think, oh, well, he's beat me, so somebody else needs to do it. They turn and they sprint back. It means everything to them. And when you get players who recovery runs are sprints, that sounds very simple, but players don't sprint when they're recovering. And if they do, you will get a second bite at the cherry. And every time somebody flies into a tackle, their mate is backing them up and, like I say, there's no real superstars in the team. I know Hakimi's there and Ziyech is there, but the ego seemed to be left, you know, in Morocco. They they all walked to a certain standard. They all walked really, really hard. Ziyech had to come off. Uh, Bufal had to come off with cramps. They were all cramping up towards the end, but they walked so, so hard for each other. And the first thing the manager did when he got the job was he got Hakim Ziyech on the phone and told him he wants him back in the Moroccan team. And yeah, for the first uh, for the first African team to get to the semi-finals of the World Cup is huge. They did it with only 70, sorry, 27% possession, which is is excellent. You know, they suffered our possession with uh, in our possession with Spain. They were prepared to do it against Portugal as well. And they gave them the wings and they said, right, put the ball into the box and we'll defend it from there. There was absolutely no problem. And, Aaron, Aaron Matt in the midfield as well. The midfield generally just sits in there telling people what to do. And when he has to go and do something, he goes and does it with real authority himself. And there's a lot to like about Morocco, you know. Although, you know, they're not huge attacking flair, probably not pretty on the eye, but to sit down and watch them and analyse them, you get real joy out of them. They're, they're a real joy to sit down and analyse. They are. And Rob, they, they, they do something which I think kind of makes them a little bit unique in terms of a team that plays a, a low block or whatever the phrase is we use now. A team that sits in and invites on pressure. When they counter, they're not playing long balls. They're playing very, very courageous short passes through the attacker, you know, through the Portuguese attackers, which is then finding somebody in a bit of space inside their own house who uh, half who can then kind of drive forward and look for whoever might be breaking outside them in front of them um it's it's like it's ballsy the way they they kind of spring out of uh defense yeah they move the ball really quick on the counter and like you say it's not just long balls it's you know it's the likes of Amrabat, Ziyech, Hakimi they're all kind of passing through the lines um and they've been excellent at it. They really have. You know, it's got to be so difficult to defend against. The later it goes, where well, they're getting tired legs, and you know they've just been facing the wall. And you could see against Portugal, you know, they were getting more and more chances. Portugal got desperate. Um, but there's kind of been a bit of a there's a tactical flexibility to their block as well. Like you know, against Portugal, they played and they they moved up the pitch. They were about five meters higher up than they were against Spain. Um, you know, they were kind of sitting in further, they're sitting in deeper, you know, the counter that passing. Um, 
they were pushing up on the, the defenders more so for against Portugal, you know, because he knew that that's where they kind of build from. So there is there's a real tactical flexibility in that. And um, yeah, it, it's going to be a fascinating game now next up. Mm. Um, it was a hell of a goal, Keith, to, you know, there was only one goal in the game. Um, it was a very unusual cross. It was just kind of hooked in, looped in. It was kind of a hopeful cross. But uh, Yusuf and Nezri, he was he was the right distance away. He could sprint at it, and it was just a tremendous. Now the keeper didn't cover himself in glory, but he, the leap it was it was Ronaldo esque how high he got up to head that ball home. Yeah, it was a it was a great leap, and you, you took the words out of my mouth. The keeper did not cover himself in justice whatsoever. Diego Costa, he comes out, and he's trying to punch it, but Ruben Diaz is there. The the, the striker is El Nazeri's you know, two foot above the two of them. He was never, ever getting there. He just gets caught on no man's land. And in the end, he's heading the ball into an empty net. But, you know, I wouldn't say it was a smash and grab, although you know, uh, Portugal had all of the possession. They only had three shots on target. Morocco has had three shots on target during the game as well. So in terms of chances, it was very, very tight. If Anton, Morocco squandered a chance to make it 2-0. Uh, the goalkeeper made a great save on the break. So Morocco were full value for it. So, People get bogged down with the possession stat and think, oh, Portugal were unlucky. They battered them. They really didn't batter them. They struggled to create anything from open play. It was balls into the box, set pieces, half chances here. Joe Felix had a, a half volley from the edge of the box. He maybe could have done better with, but no glaring chances. That Maybe the Pepe header from six yards out towards the end. You're thinking he should have scored, but I think Morocco were full of value for it and you know, I'd write them off at, at that peril, at your peril in the in the semi final because they're a very, very motivated team and they're very well backed over in in, uh, in guitar. Yeah, oh, they are. The, 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 there seem to be a, a fair bit of trouble getting into the stadium uh, this evening. There seem to be uh, people turning up without tickets, which is leading to kind of uh, kind of slow security checks. So the stadium was depressingly like about half full when the match started, but they they got in in the end. And they had something to cheer about. Um, Rob, we, we, we wouldn't want to get the, to dwell on him for too long, but um, obviously Ronaldo, he got to come on. He did have one pretty decent chance. He got off. It, it wasn't a bad shot. It wasn't the best shot he's ever hit in his life, but he did kind of, he did have an impact. Um, and then at the end to kind of see him going down the tunnel in tears. I couldn't tell with the sound off. I couldn't tell if he was crying or laughing. It was a, a strange kind of. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume. You know, he, he was. He was crying. But um, it looks like the end of his. Uh, the end of his international career. I mean, you could say the end of his top level football career if you know he ends up in Saudi Arabia. Not how he wanted it to end, but I suppose few careers end in a glorious fashion. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like um, it, it's come, you know, it's that old story, you know, how did it collapse, you know, very slowly and then all at once. Um, he, from, you know, from the falling out at Manchester United, from the spot with his Portuguese manager, you know, it's all just going, it, it's the end of his career and he, more so than Messi, hasn't really been able to find a way to kind of reinvent himself. You know, Messi has kind of turned into this deeper line playmaker. Ronaldo, he's always relied on his kind of strength, his power, his pace. And when those things go, there's, you know, there's not too much you can do about that. So you can see he's not the player he was. He's nowhere near it. And he wasn't the big kind of scary prospect coming off the bench, even from Morocco to deal with. You know, yeah, he had that chance, you know, it's a bit of a half chance, but, you know, he's, 
he doesn't have the pace to get into the positions he used to anymore. And yeah, I think it's going to be a kind of, you know, one final farewell contract for money and then away you go. Yeah, but he's not to blame for this, Keith, obviously, because he wasn't he wasn't on the pitch. It wasn't it wasn't him who was misfiring. Like, I think whoever was on was on commentary, but our co-coms was Kenny Cunningham. He said at one point he'd forgotten that Bernardo Silva was on the pitch. You know, he didn't have the impact because uh, Alo Ramos obviously got a hat-trick. That was very unlikely to happen again. Fernandez was kind of stubbornly staying in the game and Joe Felix seemed to be getting a lot of the ball. But um, like you list off those players, like it's ridiculous the attacking talent they have. And it just partly was it them not clicking or was it just simply that this Morocco team are just able to frustrate anyone? Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of both. I think Morocco are obviously very good defensively. Like we said, only conceded the, the one goal so far in the tournament. But that being said, Joe Felix probably huffed and puffing that that'd be being kind to him Bruno Fernandes yeah forgot he was on the pitch for most of it wasn't great Bernardo Silva didn't make anything happen Ruben Neves was poor Octavio was poor and then Ronaldo come on and you're thinking okay they'll put maybe some quality in the box maybe he'll score a header they they lacked any penetration they never got behind the Moroccans and I know Morocco were playing a low block but you can still threaten you can still you know, threatening to run in behind. But Morocco knew they're never going to get in behind us. They haven't got... And even if they do, we have to pace to go back at them. So, look, at the Ronaldo one, it doesn't just fall on Ronaldo's feet. But the big one for me, and I'm not sure if Fernando Santos has uh, has spoke about this, but Joe Cancelo on the bench. He, he's one of the best... He's probably one of, if not the best right-back in the world, if you want to call him a right-back or creative, holding midfield player, whatever you want to call him. How he's on the bench is absolutely baffling to me. I, I just oh, don't really get bizarre. it. Bizarre. Because I, I, yeah. like, he's probably better than the right back and the left back. And as you say, the holding midfielder, he could play in three positions and he hadn't started the last two games. Just uh, like baffling. Look, like, really I, Diego Dallo is, has played well for Portugal this World Cup. Don't get me wrong, Guerrero's doing okay. But when you've got one of the best left backs, best right backs, holding midfielders, creative midfielders, whatever you want to call them, you make space from it. It was like England were folding. I know the, the other wingers were playing well, but when you've got somebody like that, you make space, you get them in. And for Fernando Santos not to get him in, it's so it's such a glare. And obviously, you'd play him. So there has to be something in the background for me. I, I, I'm not sure if it'll come out in the next few days or whatever, but Joe Cancelo has to be a starter. Yeah, it's, it was a very odd decision. Um, Rob, there seems to be a real kind of... Uh, people don't seem to care too much about potential fines or uh, punishment for criticizing referees anymore um after last night's bonkers finale and aftermath to um the uh argentinian win over uh holland on penalties uh, today you had um bruno fernandez uh among Pe- and pepe obviously pepe had to be involved but bruno fernandez said of the referee i i don't know if they're going to give the cup to argentina i don't care I'm going to say what I think and screw them. It's very strange that a referee from a team uh, that whistles us it's, it's still in the cup. They clearly tilted the field against us. That's uh, how they, the um, translation I'm reading anyway. Um, so they seem to think there's some conspiracy that, and they seem to think that um, they are the only team that could stop Argentina from winning the World Cup. It's quite disrespectful to Morocco and obviously kind of potentially slanderous to the referee. And like, they're not the only ones. Like, obviously, the, the Argentinians and the, the Argentinians somehow found fault with the referee last night, even though he was their 12th player. So, like, it's just people don't seem to care anymore. 
Well, I mean, I think, in fairness, though, the referee list, the performance was, I think the final count was 18 yellow cards and one red card. Last night, yeah. Yeah, so, and I mean, he was, it was a very strange performance in that, like, you know, he was booking everyone in sight once and then decided that no one else ever needed to be booked. There could have been three or four red cards. Um, but yeah, there seems to be a bit of impunity with criticism. Look, Pepe... He's 39. He's not going to worry too much about getting a, a suspension from FIFA internationally. I, I'd be surprised if he turns for, for Portugal again. Uh, Fernandez, I suppose the heat at the moment, like, you know, it's you, you've gone out of the World Cup. You feel like you've been hard done by. Things are going to, you know, you, you haven't performed yourself. Things are going to be said. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, in heated moments like that, you can perhaps understand and maybe not for Gail. I'm sure, you know, the bands will come down eventually, but it's uh it's understandable, I think, you know. Yeah. It's it's an odd one though. Like keep like maybe it's the World Cups in Qatar, it's at a strange time. People think they're kind of like it, it's kind of it's just a very strange situation all around. So maybe they feel that there won't be any ramifications. But I would imagine from your career you knew that if you said something like that in the media, you're you're gonna you're gonna be in shit, aren't you? Yeah, you we were sort of we were told how to manage uh, interviews and stuff. You generally don't even really speak about the game. And that's why when you get uh, current players on to talk about things, it's so bland because they can't really say anything. They're not, they can't bring the game into disrespute, I think is what the warden is in, in contract. So I, I listened to uh, the Argentinian goalkeeper's interview as well, Martinez. His was absolutely excellent, given out about the, the referee last night in the, the Dutch and Argentinian game. But I have to say, I absolutely loved it when, when the penalty started and you could see the overhead camera and you could see the players giving each other variables going up to take the penalties. I thought it was brilliant to see a bit of needle. And I don't think it went over the top. There was a couple of tackles, a, a bit of argy-bargy here and there, but I don't think it went over the top. And I have to say, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a great game of football and... When you know two two nations don't like each other and they're going at each other like that, I, I just sat back, put my feet up and, and really, really enjoyed the game. Yeah, and I think um it was it was refreshing, Rob, as well, to kind of see that, you know, Leo Messi kinda has a personality and isn't like this like whiter than white kind of football evangelist. Like he, he like he was taunting the Dutch fans, he went over and gave Van Gaal an earful. And then um, my wife who speaks Spanish, but a bit her Argentinian Spanish wouldn't be great. Her translation of what he was saying to Veghorst was, uh, go away, go away, you, you spanner, was basically what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, as Keith says, it was just so refreshing to just yeah. to see this. It was just, it was bedlam, man. Like the best player in the world was in the middle of it. It was fantastic. And I think that's part of yeah. You know, that's, that's one. That's been one of the aspects of Argentina's performance at this World Cup. You know, Messi has seems to have taken on a new leadership role. You know, he's not frightened to put himself out there and kind of get involved and get his head in. And you know, be the face of no, we're not happy with this. And you know, whereas in the past he might have shied away from these things. He seems to be a genuine, the genuine leader of this Argentinian squad now for the first time. Ever perhaps, you know, I mean, the pressure was always on him to perform as a player and as a you know an individual, but now he really seems to step up, have stepped up as a leader. Um, and you know, that's again, that's kind of you're at the same stage of their career, you're looking at the contrast between him and Ronaldo, and they've been these two kind of head to head who is it, you know, who's the best, you know, when we've lived in a time when we've been blessed to have the two of them, but it's just so refreshing to see his career. It seems to end a new era. You know, he has stepped up and taken this leadership role uh, that we haven't seen from him before. 
Yeah. Um, well, look, I think we're probably not the semi-finals we predicted, but if we got the semi-finals we predicted, it would be a predictable World Cup, which is which is not what we want. So um, just for those of you, maybe not altogether sure, it's Argentina-Croatia at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, and then it's France-Morocco at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. They'll both be live on RTE2 and the RTE player. And uh, we'll be back on Monday to preview them. And I have to say, I'm already looking forward to them. This the idea, Keith, of another two days now with no football is painful. We we just got over two days with no football, and the two days we got has been phenomenal. It's um I would say at times I don't know how you feel like the football. Maybe the standard of the football hasn't always been at the highest, but the entertainment value and the drama has has been second to none, particularly in these quarterfinals. I thought. Yeah, look at the the knockout stages of. of, of been brilliant uh, still, a not, uh, still a long way to go we've got all the semis and then the final to go but the quarters the finals have been really really entertaining can't take your eyes out for a minute the group stages you know I, I don't often agree with uh, Giovanni Infantino but I do think it was the best group stage as soon as Saudi Arabia beat Argentina everybody's ears pricked up they thought it could be the year of the underdog and then Japan beat Germany there's just been so many upsets along the way and Morocco being in the semi-final, Croatia being there, and you know, can you put it past Morocco or Croatia getting to the final and you know really upsetting it? It, it could be a World Cup for for the underdog, which is brilliant for me. And so many people have said, "Wouldn't you love Messi to win it for Argentina?" I have to say, you know, I wouldn't begrudge Luka Modric winning the World Cup because that that man's been at the top for so so long. Never puts a foot out of trouble in terms of the media. Never in the limelight for any bad reasons for bad publicity. Just a super, super uh, player, and for so long he's been playing for us at the top level. If if it was to to lift it, you know, I, I you'd have to just say he deserved it. Yeah, um, well, good cases can be made for all the teams. You'd like to think, and just the final word, just Robbie. I saw a couple of comparisons to uh, to uh, Turkey a couple of World Cups ago when they made it to the semi final, but had shipped a lot of injuries. Roman Sice went off for Morocco this evening and if he if he's not fit, they're down I think they're two at, the, at, at as we speak, their two first choice centre halves are gone, which is which is tough because obviously they rely quite a lot on their centre halves and um they're two quality players. So you you'd hope they get one or both of them back because you'd like to see them now that they've got to this this stage to get a fair crack at it. Absolutely. And Sice is such an important player for them. Um but I suppose it's just part of you know that game of attrition they played it's going to take that where you know when you're throwing yourself into so many tackles when you're sprinting after everything it's going to have that wear and tear especially when the games are so close together um the only other thing i can think you know is um having watched the morocco and croatia the first group game the nil nil i'm not sure we want another one of that <laughs> it, you know there's a lovely romance there but that was Terrible, terrible games. <laughs> that, that, that's a good point. Careful what you wish for. All right. Uh, thank you to Keith. Thank you to Rob. And um, thanks very much for listening. And as I said, we'll be back on Monday to preview the semi Thanks. Good luck. Bye. Cheers.